You're listening to Creatives Making Money, the podcast for creatives who are on a mission to do the work they feel most called to do and make some money while they do it. This is a show for the makers, the dreamers, the doers, the creators, the artists, the crazy ones, and the ones who are determined to consciously build the life and career of their dreams. Here, we don't just believe in getting your dream job, we believe in creating it. So what does creative success even look like? How do we live a fully expressed, abundant AF life? That's precisely what we're here to find out. My mission with Creatives Making Money is to conduct 100 interviews with successful creatives and those who love and support them about money, career, and the process of making and doing what they most love, including all of the ups, downs, and in-betweens. I'm your host, Jamie Jensen, writer, storyteller, filmmaker, serial entrepreneur, and shameless creator. No matter where you are in your creative and financial journey, I'm here to help you create like you mean it. Welcome to Creatives Making Money. Today I have with me Megan Allman, who is a designer, metalsmith, educator, and entrepreneur who has built a multifaceted business around her passion for art, commerce, and visual content creation which is really just a fancy way of saying that she's obsessed with Instagram and Pinterest. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) In addition to running her eponymous jewelry line, you'll find her helping artists and makers grow their profit through her online mentorship program, Artists and Profit Makers. Megan, I am all about it and so very excited to have you with me today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to just sit down and talk about all, all things marketing and all things that I love to talk about. So quick question before we dive into like all of the tips and tricks for artists and makers to make more money with their work. Cause I know you have tons of those. I'm curious to hear, how did you get started with the jewelry business? Like how did that all come together? Was that your first business? Did you have other businesses before that? Like walk us through, walk us through what brought you to today. (laughs) Yeah. So this, what is technically my first business? Um, I actually have a BFA in metalsmithing. It says that on my diploma, it's the most random non like non-practical degree you can get. Um, but I'm super lucky in that I took a jewelry making class in high school and I was like, you can go to college for this. Sign me up. That's amazing. Um, and so I ended up going to college for that. And then because I had no idea what to do with a BFA at metalsmithing, like seriously, what do you do with that? I went ahead and got my MFA too, because that seemed logical, right? If you don't know what to do with one degree, get a second degree. Um, so I went and got my MFA. Um, and while I was getting my MFA, I kind of was debating if I wanted to become a university professor because that's why most people get their MFA or if I was going to start my own business. And so I had one year where I was a sabbatical replacement at a university. And what I always say I learned in that year is that I did not want to be a university professor. So I was glad I figured that one out pretty early. Um, But what was great about that is it kind of gave me time to sort of launch my business and ramp up. I basically had a year where I could kind of figure out what I was doing. Um, And so that led me to starting my business. And that was actually back in 2007. So I did 
kind of all the things that you do in a maker business when you're trying to figure things out. I started a blog because back in the early days of blogging, uh, I signed up for Etsy back in the early days of Etsy. But then I, I did a few retail craft shows, which I never loved. Um, and then I fell into wholesale. So I did my first wholesale show in 2008, uh, the, what's now called New York Now, but at the time it was the New York Gift Show. And um, I kind of figured out that that was something that worked for me. And so I did that. And then along the way, I, um, I joked about, or I didn't joke, I talked about going back and getting an MBA. And a friend of mine was like, that's crazy. You could, she's like, you could teach that. And so then I just started a, a second, a side business basically teaching other artists and makers how to run their businesses. And it was kind of like a way to indulge my little side nerdiness and my own interest in business and marketing. And, but I realized pretty quickly there was actually a, a pretty big need for that as well. What are the big challenges that maybe you faced or that you see um, other you know, artists and makers facing when they're getting started and trying to really create revenue out of their work? Yeah. So the biggest one is, first of all, pricing. Like every, everyone is nervous about pricing. They freak out about pricing. They usually price too low, especially because they do the thing where they're like, oh, this is the thing that I make. So now I'm going to go on Etsy and I'm going to see what other people charge and everyone on Etsy undercharges. And so they're like, okay, well I should charge this much. And then either they don't sell things because that's, that's another challenge that we can get to in a second, or they do start selling things. And then they realize really quickly that they're like working their butts off and not making any money from it. Um, so that's the first one. But then I think the second one is that just everyone assumes like, oh, I make a thing and I'm going to set up an Etsy shop or set up a website and then go, or go on Instagram and immediately everyone's going to find me and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to make all the money, which I don't know anyone that's <laughs> ever had it happen like that for them. So I think there's this real um, kind of misinformation out there that like that if you build it, they will come. Like you just put up a website and there it is and it's magic and it works. And and then pretty quickly you realize it doesn't and people get frustrated and then they walk away, which is a shame because I'm really passionate about art and craft and design. And if people are making really cool stuff, I want them to sell it because I think there needs to be more of it in the world. What's your feeling on Etsy? Because you brought it up a couple times and now I'm like, oh, give me, your, give me the Etsy opinion now, Megan. I feel that there is one or many. There, there is. And you know, so it's funny in the very early days of my designing an MBA blog, I actually wrote a post called Etsy and the Culture of Cheap, which totally actually like launched my blog um, because people were like, whoa, someone is expressing this opinion. And, and really, Etsy has done many great things for myself and many makers. But at the end of the day, it is way oversaturated with really underpriced work. And it's just really, really hard to compete. And I think it's hard to be taken seriously on there. So um, I do think it's okay when you're starting out to throw some stuff up there to try, but don't expect it to be your only revenue stream and don't let it be your only revenue stream. Because then what happens is even if you are one of those people who find success on Etsy, you're like, oh great, I'm making money. And then they change the algorithm because they always change the algorithm because that's what, that's what happens in anything based on an algorithm. They change the algorithm and suddenly you're going from making five sales a day to making no sales a day. And you're like, I don't know what to do because you didn't actually have a whole business. You just had an Etsy shop. So I think it can be one piece if it works for you. Um, the other thing that I would say is like, for me, what happened was I set up on Etsy and the only people that really bought from me were traffic that I was driving there myself. Well, if I'm going to drive traffic somewhere, I'm not going to drive it to a place where they're a click away from my competitors. So for me, it was pretty easy to be like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to move on. I'm going to set up my own website. Cause if I'm going to drive all that traffic there, I want to keep it as long as possible in my business and not someone else's. 
When you say that, that it could be one of their revenue streams, but not their only revenue stream, what other revenue streams do you see people creating in addition to an Etsy shop that tends to work for them? Yeah. So a lot of people do Etsy shop and then their own online shop, um, which is a good way to balance because again, then you have more control. But I actually think it's so important to find some kind of revenue stream that has a physical presence in the real world. I don't think we talk about this enough, especially in the artist and maker space, but it's really hard to grow an online business. It's, it's really, really hard, especially when you're selling physical products. So I think it's really important that you do some kind of in-person face-to-face selling, whether that's doing retail shows or craft shows or farmer's markets or the route that I went, which is wholesale. So selling to stores and you can do that through trade shows, or you can do that just by reaching out to stores. But I think it's just so important to actually put your products in people's hands. And that just doesn't happen easily on the internet. So is that what you think is the biggest challenge with selling physical products online is that there is no like touch feel experience factor? Yeah, I think that's definitely one of those things. And that is a a big thing that I'm about, which is that at the end of the day, people, they want to touch, they want to try. And especially if you make something wearable, people are still hesitant about like, is it going to fit me? Is it going to look right on me? Like even if there's a model shot, which I'm a huge advocate of, even if there's a model shot, there's still some hesitation. And obviously the more comfortable people get shopping online, the less of a barrier that becomes. But at the end of the day, there are always going to be people who want to go to a store and try something on or touch it or hold it and then make a purchase, especially if they aren't familiar with your brand. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I've, I've worked with a couple jewelry brands, um, over the course of my business and career and consulting and like helping with copywriting and conversion and that sort of thing. And I find what, what struck me and what something, a big challenge that I felt we had to overcome was really, really working on developing trust, especially when you're selling something like jewelry, because it's the kind of thing where if they don't know the brand, then they don't necessarily trust the quality of what you're delivering to them. Um, and so that can be really challenging in an online space where there's like lots of, you know, what do you typically tell people, um, to do to, to kind of work on that? Yeah. So one of the first things that I think people should do, especially artists and makers is literally show more of themselves online. So I think that, and that literally means like your own face, your own person. Um, (laughs) it's like, let me explain what I mean by that. Cause it's really clear, like show yourself. Um, Because I think what happened was in in the early days of online, like in the early days of Etsy and blogging, like it it started to get this bad rap of like, it's handmade, it's not professional. And so then everyone swung the other way and you started to see, I'm sure you saw it like really corporate copywriting and individual makers are using we instead of I, and they're trying to like make people believe that they're bigger than they are. But the reality is that if you're an independent maker or an independent brand, even if you're a small company, that's actually a selling point for you. And there's, there's no point in hiding it because now if you are doing the we thing and you're being really evasive and people are like, Oh, well, is this some like scam brand out of China that I don't, am never going to see my money again? Like people, that's literally what people think now when they see that really generic language. And when they see like only generic model shots and nothing that shows like, Hey, I'm a maker, I'm a human. Um, and so I think both you know, showing your face, showing up, whether that's even if you're just doing it in like your Instagram stories or something like that, showing up and showing your face is important. And then also writing like a human is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, Not pretending that you're this giant company being like, hi, I am Megan. I make stuff, you know, a little more nice than that. But that kind of thing where you're not pretending that you're something that you're not. 
Yeah, I love that. And and as you probably already know, I preach about that all the time. I'm like, be human on the internet. It helps with all the sales. Yeah. And that's what when people ask me, they're like, what do I write on Instagram? I'm like, write like a human. Like, what would you say to a girlfriend? What would you say to somebody? Like, stop pretending, stop writing marketing speak in your Instagram captions. That drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Just talk to people as if they're people. Mm-hmm. Crazy. It's crazy. Preach it. I know. I know. Insane. I'm, I'm so into it. So I know that you're really passionate about um, this idea that marketing advice is typically it's like one size fits all, which, which is what you typically see in that really for artists and makers, there's a more intelligent, customized, and different way that they need to be approaching their marketing and sales. So I'm curious to hear what are the big mistakes you see people making? You know, what's the common advice that you think people are listening to, you know, to their own detriment? Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is not every business works the same. And the problem is that you have a lot of people on the internet who their businesses are service businesses or info businesses. And so when they talk about marketing, they're talking about it from that perspective, which is fine. There are a lot of people who need that help, but not all of that translates to an artist or maker business. And so then when artists and makers hear this advice, it either confuses them or it actually just sends them off in a totally wrong direction. Um, And so, you know, for me, one of the biggest ones that I see is this idea that like, your product has to solve a problem. And so there's this, this, I don't know what you would call it, like a strategy in marketing, right? Where it's, you identify the problem that your thing solves, and then you tell the customer about the problem. And then you're like, here's how I can fix this problem. And that is problematic for lack of a better word for so many reasons. The first of which is it stresses artists and makers out, right? So I have so many people who are like, my work doesn't solve a problem. I, I must be, I must be failing, right? Like I must be doing something wrong, but it's also, it's such a reductionist way to look at the way that we buy because the reality is yes, sometimes we buy products, services, et cetera, to solve a problem. But often, especially with art and craft and design, we buy things because we love them because they make us feel good because you know, they're fun to touch or play with, or they make us feel pretty or smart or, you know, beautiful or whatever it is, they make us feel something. And so when we just say, okay, like all my work does is solve a problem, it really reduces the value of what you do. Plus, if all you're saying is this solves a problem, there's always going to be something cheaper and faster that solves the problem better than your art or your handmade product will. And so if that's the only thing you're selling on, you're, you can't compete on that just like you can't compete on price. And so I think we have to look at all of the reasons that people buy and shop, this really visceral, emotional brand, you know, all of the things like the reasons people buy luxury goods, like you don't buy a Louis Vuitton bag because you need a bag. Because right? you need and, something to throw your shit in. Right, exactly. <laughs> like that's not the reason that you buy that. And so I think that, and so, and I think that's part of the problem is, especially what I see online is that so many artists and makers are looking at advice that's written for service providers and and coaches and info marketers. And in reality, they should be looking at how are retail chains marketing, how are luxury brands marketing, because there's a whole other model of marketing that we're just totally missing when we're saying, oh yeah, like I have to figure out what what problem my my product solves or else I'm going to fail at marketing. No, you're not going to fail at marketing. Let that go and focus on other things. How did you figure all of this out? You know, did you, did you have an experience of kind of going down the wrong path? 
and then, you know, being frustrated and figuring out that it didn't work or, you know, tell us a little bit more about how you learn to approach marketing and what I'll call in this instance, like the right way for artists and makers. Yeah. So I think, it, you know, it wasn't any one like epiphany or kind of come to Jesus moment, but it was just sort of this, this building up of, I realized that when I was talking about my product in ways that it was like, here, you need this to wear on Saturday night. Or like I was writing a lot of blog posts that were very much like eight ways to style boyfriend jeans and then like putting my jewelry in, which like is fine. People actually need that information, but it turns out that that kind of content is not going to sell my jewelry, right? (laughs) They're going to go to, even if they do land on my website, they're not looking at that as a purchase. They're looking at that as the same way that you'd land on Vogue or Elle or in style. You get your information and then you click away. So I think part of it was that I spent a year doing all of this content around like that sort of like, here's the problem that my work solves. And it, it got me plenty of traffic and it got me some sales, but it didn't get me the amount of sales I thought it should be getting for the amount of traffic I was getting. And so then I started just basically being like, okay, how do I do things that are more about like just the, the product itself, more photography. I started shooting my work on myself more and just kind of like basically doing like the show don't tell. And I, and I realized that that was just resonating with people so much more than just trying to be like, you need this because you need something to wear on Saturday night. And so it was, it was just kind of this evolution over time of realizing, you know what, like this, this doesn't work. And also just seeing how much stress it caused in like the students and the consult and the clients that I was working with when they're like, I don't, I don't know a problem my work solves, Megan. Like I, it doesn't. And like if you're caught getting that stress, then you're not marketing your work right. So literally like artists and makers making beautiful products aren't sharing them online because they feel like they don't solve a problem. And that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous because we need pretty things. We do need pretty things. It's super important. It actually is. Like studies show that the things that we surround ourselves with do actually enhance our quality of life. And so it's important. Like you need that stuff in the world. You need art, you need beauty, you need style. You need all of those things because they actually just, they make us all happier. They do. They make us happier and they help us have our own. It's about identity also, like identifying what your style is and choosing, you know, it's so much about who are you and who are you aspiring to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. Who do you let yourself become when you put on a particular piece of jewelry or a piece of clothing or when you choose you know, which, which car to drive or which bag to carry or which shoes to wear. Right. Right. Yeah. It's important. It it lets you show the world who you are. It is. And I think, and you know, and the thing is too, like if we're so busy worrying about solving a problem, then we're not thinking about who our customers are or who our customers want to be and how they want to be perceived and just even how our products make people feel. I mean, that's one of the first things that I try to get people to think about is like, instead of what's the problem that it solves, how does your art or how does your craft or how does your product make someone feel? And, you know, one of the big challenges is that a lot of artists and makers aren't good at being consumers of their own work, right? Like they make the thing and then like they try to sell it or they sell it and it goes away or it sits in a box and they don't sell it. I'm like, okay, but how do you know then how it makes someone feel? You know how it makes you feel when you're making it, but you don't know how it makes someone feel when they're wearing it or when they're looking at the painting or when they're using the mug. And so I always challenge people to do what I call like be your own biggest fan, which is that you just have to like use the shit out of your own work so that you start to understand how it makes you feel. So if you're a painter, your home should be surrounded with your paintings. If you're a jeweler, you should be wearing your jewelry. And I know that seems so obvious, but so many people I know don't do it. 
Or, you know, if you make ceramics every morning, it's coffee out of your own mug, cereal out of your own bowl, et cetera, et cetera. And then paying attention to how those things make you feel. Because then when you have to talk about your work, when you have to write copy or sell in person, instead of saying, oh, okay, well, I bend the links and then I weld them and this is my process, which is kind of gibberish to your customer, let's be real. I can say, oh my gosh, this necklace is my favorite. I wear it every day. It's so easy. I just toss it on. You know, I love the way it makes me feel. You can start to talk about those kinds of things instead of trying to just be like, you should buy this because I made it and it took me a long time. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a reason? (laughs) It's not. Unfortunately, it's not. I know. I know we want it to be, but it's not. But I, but my blood, sweat, and tears went into this. Right. And it yeah. did. And that's totally fine. And your customer cares a little bit about that, right? They care that you as a human made it and not someone in a sweatshop in China. But they also want to know what's in it for them, right? Because people are inherently selfish and they want to know what's in it for them. And so in this case, we're not trying to say, well, this will solve your problem. We're just trying to say, this is how this is going to make you feel. This is how you're going to love having it in your life. And some of that is visual, right? Some of that comes from your photography, but at some point you also have to be able to say things, whether they're written or out loud, you have to also be able to say things about your work. And the more time you spend experiencing your work, the easier it becomes to talk about it to customers. Amazing. I'm curious to hear, um, if you have, you know, a few, like a set of tips or steps that you would have an artist or maker start taking in order to more effectively market their work? And if this is different based on category, because I know you just mentioned like mugs, paintings, jewelry. Um, So, you know, we could go with those three categories or if there are kind of most common categories that you find yourself supporting artists and makers in what they create. um, If it's different for each little kind of segment, please share. Yeah, so there are definitely nuances, but I think the first thing with every artist and maker is you either have to get really good at photography or you have to be prepared to pay someone who is really good at photography. Because at this point, that is the main way that you're communicating your brand is through your photography. And so um, I always tell people, like, you need to set aside a certain amount of time every week to do product photography. I don't care if you have new product or not. Every week you have to be shooting something. And now the part of this is because we live in the Instagram, Pinterest, visual content creation world where you need that kinds of content. But also the more you do it, the more likely you're going to start to create images that resonate with people and that help sell your work. So that's the first thing is if you're like, Meh, I shoot my work like once, once every three months and like I just put it on a white background and it's fine. Like, that's not fine and you need to do better. So thinking about, again, going back to those emotions. So if you haven't figured out how your work makes someone feel, figure out how your work makes people feel. Think of like a couple of core emotions. So, you know, for me, it's like confident, it's strong, it's powerful, but it's also like easy. Like there's this kind of balance in my work between like confidence and strength and ease. And so those are the things that I'm going for when I try to photograph my work. And so you have to know that in order to get that really great photography. But that's the first thing is figuring out your photography. Um, And then the next thing is literally just, again, like talking to people like they're humans. Um, But I think the other thing is, you know, there's no one size fits all marketing strategy. You have to play to your strengths and figure out what is the best way to get your work in front of humans. So is it stores? Is it retail craft shows? Is it, um, you know, is it online? Everyone's probably selling online, but again, you probably have to pick something else. So figuring out what is your marketing method is going to be really key because it looks different for everybody. 
So do you, do you advise people to pick one and kind of go balls to the wall within one, with one area, or do you kind of suggest that they diversify and do a little bit of each? I think two is probably a sweet spot because honestly, at this point in time, it's really hard to ignore the internet, right? Like every, first of all, that's the pipe dream. Everyone wants to sit at home in their studio. I'm guilty of it too. Everyone wants to sit at home in their studio and just ship things out all over the world, right? That's the dream. The reality doesn't always look like that. It takes a lot longer to build. So I do think that, um, you know, the internet can be one, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to do like your own store and an Etsy shop and an Amazon handmade shop and whatever else, like pick one thing on the internet and then pick one in real life thing. So whether that's wholesale, whether that's craft shows, you know, maybe it's selling to galleries. Maybe you decide you're going to do like a million trunk shows. Maybe you have a bunch of friends with some money and you're like, Hey, every month I'm going to have someone host me at their house and show up with my stuff. And like everyone drinks wine and I sell to them. That's a, that's valid too. So basically I think the best thing you can do is pick one online and one, um, and one in person and really focus on those. And then you can kind of like from there, even focus those down more. So if you're picking online, then try to maybe pick one social media platform or or maybe two at the most um, and go from there. So I'm not trying to win at Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and Pinterest. You know, for me, it's, it's Instagram and Pinterest. And because those two work, you can use very similar content to be successful in both of those. So I'll use both of those, but I'm not trying to win on every social platform because you can't, you can't do that. And then the same thing online. So if you are or in person, so if you're thinking, okay, like I'm going to do wholesale, then maybe like pick one trade show that you're going to focus on, or maybe pick, um, you know, one strategy where you're going to wake up every day and like email six stores or whatever it is. So don't try to do all the things within your focus areas. Keep kind of narrowing it down to the essentials. Awesome. Is there um, a particular brand or client that you've worked with, or maybe this is even true for you, where you've kind of helped them essentialize their marketing and kind of change the way that they're approaching it and seen a huge difference in their quality of life and their sales and their results and all of that stuff? Yeah. So, you know, I, I do think that like, um, one of the things that I'm seeing is that, and it happened for me, is that literally like the more I put myself forward in the brand, the more sales and the more success that I'm having. Um, so when I started photographing my work on myself and just showing myself more, like it, it had this snowball effect where I was getting more work out onto the internet. I was able to showcase more products. Um, but then it also kind of created that deeper connection that people really liked. Um, but then the other thing that I see is like every person that I talk to, we haven't talked about email marketing at all, but (laughs) every person where I'm like, okay, like email marketing is the thing we're going to do. Um, that generally also tends to, to drive sales. Um, but I think that's the thing that is so important to remember is that so much of this is not like, boom, you have one magic solution. And then all of a sudden, like all your problems go away. It's always like every little thing that you do that adds up to really kind of grow the business over time. Mm -hmm. So if I was a new artist maker, you know, and I wanted to have a greeting card business, which by the way, fun fact, this is the, that's like the first domain I ever bought was because I thought I was going to have a greeting card business. So I was eight, I was 18 years old and I was like, maybe I just do this and don't go to college and just do this because I'm obsessed. And I ended up not doing it, but I did buy the domain. (laughs) Are you a domain hoarder? Like I am, I'm totally a domain hoarder. You know, it's not as bad as it used to be. (laughs) I have to be real with you. I don't, I don't know a lot of creative people who are not domain hoarders. Yeah. Um, for me, it's usually just the things that are close to products I already have now. Yeah. I just buy the things that are like, 
I'll just have those in case I need them. Right. But it used to be every time I had an idea, I would buy a domain. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I had my first domain when I was like 12 or 13, I don't know, 13. And then I bought, I bought that one when I was 18, almost had a greeting card business. So for just a fun fake case study, let's talk this through. All right. So if I wanted to have a greeting card business and I made funny greeting cards that were like clever and witty and, you know, uniquely illustrated, which is of course what they would be. Of course. Um, I mean, they'd have to be funny if I was going to work on them. <laughs> Obviously. What would, you know, when I, I came to you and I said, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing to market this. I don't know how to be a maker and how to start this business. How long is it going to take me to see success? What are the first three steps that you would have me take? Like, help Megan. Yeah. So, so the first thing that I would do is honestly, I would look at your line and figure out if you have enough product because you're like, you might get success out of one greeting card. So Emily McDowell is a really good example of someone who had like one greeting card that was amazing and it went viral and it knocked, like it, it blew up her brand. So you might get some initial success with one really great, funny greeting card, but at the end of the day, you're not going to sell enough of one funny greeting card to actually build a whole business. So the first thing I would say is like, do, do you have enough product in there? So we'd look at that. Then I would tell you to at least set up a social media profile because it's a funny card. You're going to want to go on Instagram or Pinterest and you definitely want to set up that email, um, your email marketing right away. So wherever your website is, even if the website's not launched yet, put that email capture button on there that says like, Hey, funny greeting cards are coming join the email list if you want to be the first to know, right? That's so important because then you're capturing people in a way that you can never do on social media. So I'd get that in place. But then I would really encourage you to think about some place you can sell in person. Doesn't have to be forever, but can you go do your local farmer's market? Can you apply to, you know, Renegade or, or some other kind of craft show like that? Can you um, you know, find some place where you can sell in person because then you're going to get really valuable feedback that you're never going to get online. Because here's the thing, people think that the table between you and them is like some magic wall where you can't hear them, <laughs> but, but you can obviously. And so they'll make comments, they'll say things, you'll see what products people gravitate towards. You just get so much information that you never would get if you were trying to just sell on the internet. So I do recommend doing at least one in-person thing. And then I would say that how quickly you're going to grow is really going to depend on how much time and more importantly, how much money you want to put in. So if you are like, you know what, I'm going all in and I'm going to do 10 retail shows and two trade shows this year, you're probably going to grow faster than if you're like, you know what, this needs to be my side hustle right now. I have a full-time job. So what I'm going to do right now is just set up an Etsy shop and an Instagram account. And if you're doing that, that's fine, but you're not going to grow as quickly as someone who's got a little bit more money or a little bit more time to invest in kind of going all in. How much money do you think it, it takes to like start a business like that? You know, if you were like, okay, let's say it's going to take you two to three years to turn a profit or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I'm just putting that out. I'm like just playing a game with you for yeah. fun. For you know, people who are listening who are like, I really want an artist. I want to like have a business based on making stuff and I don't yeah. have it yet. I just want to be able to give them a little bit of guidance too. Yeah. Like, so what, I, what's, what should they expect? Yeah. I think it really depends on, um, well, like, like jewelry and greeting cards, very different, very, very different, different needs, very different <laughs> needs. And I think very different costs. So part of it depends right. on obviously like your material costs and your product. Um, 
But then the, actually the mistake that I see people make is that they want to like, they spend a lot of money on things without doing anything revenue generating. So actually my first year in business, I've been in business for, what did I say? I started in 2007. So 12 years. And of those 12 years, I only had one year that wasn't profitable, which was actually like 2009. My first two years, I was profitable um, because I was always doing things that generated revenue. So I started doing retail craft shows. So you spend money, you do the show, and then you leave with cash in your hand. And so if you're doing something like that, you usually see an R, you can see an ROI pretty quickly. You can get ramped up. Whereas you might also see someone who's like, okay, I'm going to get the greeting cards and then I'm going to hire someone to take all the pretty pictures for me and I'm going to start posting on Instagram and I'm going to build my website and I'm going to you know, spend like $10,000 ramping up. And then it might take you two or three years to recoup your expenses. So it's going to look different for everyone. And so that's why actually one of the things that I really focus on, especially my online community, is asking people this question of like, what are you going to do to make money this week? Um, because it's so easy to do all of the marketing and all of like the stuff that feels like you're working in your business. But literally, like, what are you going to do to ask for the sale? Because the reality is, if you're smart and strategic about asking for the sale, there's no reason you can't start making money right away. It's just that a lot of artists and makers are too scared to ask for the sale. So they do all of the other stuff that feels like they're working and they're not. So like if you were going to start your greeting card company and you told me like, Hey, you know what? I really want to sell to stores. I think it makes sense, which it does make sense because where do people buy greeting cards? Still, they buy them in stores. They don't buy them online. Who thinks that far in advance, right? They do. Sometimes you see a funny one and you stash it, but most people you're like, Oh shit, it's my coworker's birthday. I'm going to pop into the neighborhood's shop on my lunch break and buy the birthday card that I forgot to get. Right. That's how people shop for cards. So if you're telling me, okay, like I want to do this. Yeah. You can shell out six grand for a trade show or, and this is something that I work on with my clients. We can pull together a line sheet. We'll put together a nice little line sheet. It doesn't have to be complicated. And you can start emailing stores and reaching out to stores and mailing it to stores today because that's going to generate some revenue more quickly. And once you have a few stores, then you might think about the trade show as the next step. But literally, what can you do to generate income right away? Instead of, let me just like do all the behind the scenes stuff and like, fingers crossed the money comes later. I'm like over here nodding like excitedly. She's, she's I'm like, yes, 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 Megan. Yes, keep talking. I agree. I'm, agree. Um, <laughs> It's so true though. I think it's like the easiest thing. And I talk, I, you know, I talk with my clients about this a lot. I'm like, the one thing I don't want at, any of you to do is like, keep your head down and busy work. That isn't actually generating revenue. Like it's safer. It feels safe. It feels, it's really, yeah. it's really cozy to be in your corner working yeah. on, working yeah. on stuff and being busy and writing a blog post and doing all the things and like working on your craft and like working your ass yeah. off, creating more, right? It's, it's the easiest trap to get stuck in. But, and this is kind of, I think for this interview, this is probably the biggest, the biggest takeaway thing that I want you guys to think about is where are you expending energy and time that is not actually creating sales? Yeah. And I know it's uncomfortable to ask for the sale. We all go through this, but please challenge yourself this week to ask for the fucking sale even if someone says no, and even if it's something you're not even really selling and you just made it up, like, and then you sell something totally yeah. random that you didn't even make yet. Great. 
Yeah. Literally ask someone to give you money in exchange for your product or service. Like that is, that is what businesses are. Like, as we were talking, I was thinking I'm, I'm a huge fan of the show Parks and Rec. And so <laughs> there's an episode where Tom Haverford and his buddy, they started business, right? It's, it's E it's entertainment 720. So it's this whole thing about like, it's like a branding entertainment conglomerate. And another character shows up and he's like, uh, what are you doing here? And they're like, Oh, we're like, marketing we're playing video games and tweeting out our high scores and all this stuff and and ben who's like the accountant character is like um businesses need revenue they need <laughs> customers and like but i think that there's so many people it doesn't look like what exactly what it looks like on that show but there's so many people who are doing that they're like i have a business because i have a website and i do some marketing and but they're never asking for the sale and some things are, some kinds of marketing activities where you play a long game are important. Like I'm a huge believer in blogging and I use my blog and I use Pinterest and I have this, this long game that I'm playing with that marketing, but that works because I also have ways that I immediately generate revenue. I have my stores, I have my wholesale accounts. I you know, have had that side of the business that I've had from almost the beginning. I now have an email list so that when I want to make money, I email the list. Actually, I email the list pretty much every week without fail because that's my job, right? That's how I ask for the sale. And in those emails, it doesn't say like, here's what I'm in the studio, blah, 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 blah. And I hope you had a great weekend. It's like, here is a thing, click here to buy it. And then it goes directly to my website where they can buy it. And it's just one of those things that like, it seems so stupidly obvious, but a lot of people don't do it because it's also scary, right? It feels scary until you just do it enough. And then when you do it enough and you're like, yep, I got to make the money today. Time to send the email. Like you just have to get over the fear by doing it all the time. Cause then the more times it makes you money, the less scary it gets. Preach it. This has been so amazing. I could talk to you all day about all the business things and love it and love it. And so thank you. Thank you for sharing all of your brilliance. Really. Um, I have one more question I want to make sure that I ask <laughs> the $5 million question. So my question is, you just had $5 million land in your lap from the heavens above and it's just there and you don't have to do anything for it. It's just like a gift. What do you do with that money? I, can I just say, I love this question because <laughs> actually like a couple months ago when everyone was going like lottery crazy, I was playing the game in my head of like, what would I do if I won the lottery? And what's funny is I never even bought a damn lottery ticket. I was just, <laughs> game. Um, but what I learned is that like, it's actually really instructive to think about the answer to this question, right? Like if you suddenly that you no strings attached, like what would you do and how would your life change? Like, I think that's such an amazing question. So for me, there are a couple things. Um, one is that I, my studio is in the farmhouse that I grew up in. And so and I love, I love it, but it needs a little TLC. So like without a doubt, I would totally do some updating on the space, partly because I'd love to bring other artists and makers in. I'd love to have it as a retreat space. I live like out in the country in Pennsylvania. I think it would be so fun um, to do that. And then obviously I would keep making my work and keep running my business because I love that. And I wouldn't, like if I was going to hire people to help me, it wouldn't be to actually make the product. Cause I had someone, I actually had someone make product for me for a while. And it turned out I was like, I literally gave away the thing that I love doing most. So, you know, like I bring someone in to like pack orders and do kind of like the more busy work and the marketing things. But ultimately what I would do is I would take so much of that money and I would invest it back in other artists and makers. First of all, by buying people's work. 
And I will say I do this already. This is like something that's so important to me is that if you're an artist or a maker or you're an independent business owner, you can't expect people to give you money if you don't give other people money in your space. And so for me, like I have certain product categories and certain artists that I love. Like I love buying handmade ceramics. I'm never going to work with clay in my life. It's too squishy. I can't do it. So like I buy the shit out of handmade ceramics. I love buying other people's paintings or other people's art. And so I would take a big chunk of that money and just start buying and collecting even more people's work because honestly, that's the best way to help artists and makers, right? Is to actually buy their work. Um, but I'd also take some of that money and basically give out like scholarships to help other artists and makers grow their businesses. So it's like, Hey, you want to do a trade show? Okay. Here's, here's $5,000. You want to do a trade show? Here's $5,000 because the reality is that sometimes you do need a little bit of money to get over the hurdle. And if I can take someone who's making great work and invest in them, that for me is a, would be a really great use of that money. That's amazing. I love that answer, Megan. <laughs> I've been thinking about it for a while, ever since the lottery went crazy. So. <laughs> if anyone wants just to give me $5 million, clearly I would do really good things with it. You would. I'm, I'm in full support. Um, it's funny. I, I've made it. One of the intentions that I had for this year was that I really wanted to spend $10,000 on art, like Ooh. real art. With, from artists that I really yes. respect and love. And I've already started. I'm about $1,000 in, so I'm working on it. I love it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's totally aligned with what you're saying, where I, I do believe that it, it's, it's, you know, energy, money is energy, and it's mm -hmm. always flowing. So if you value something um, and you value being an artist and maker, I think that it's just as important to be expressing that value by supporting other artists and makers and you know, we are a community and we must support each other. So I, I, I love Absolutely. that. I love that so much. Where can people find you, stalk you, learn more from you, find out more about your mentorship program, all the things. Yeah. So if you go to my website, meganalman.com, you'll find lots and lots of links. And I am at Megan Almond on literally every social media outlet, but I definitely spend all my time hanging out on Instagram and Pinterest. You can follow me on the other ones, but if you want to actually stalk me, Instagram and Pinterest are the way to go. Um, and then my online community is artistsandprofitmakers.com. So you can go right there. You can also link to it. You can get to it from my main website because I'm smart like that. Um, so if you're, really, if you're not sure, just go to meganalman.com and you can literally find everything from there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Creatives Making Money, but don't go anywhere without subscribing. Also, I just wanted to mention that ratings and reviews are really a huge help. So if you've connected with this episode or a previous episode, or if something you heard here just resonated with you really deeply or gave you the feels or a huge aha, letting me know with a rating and review really, really makes my day. So I'd so appreciate it and you. Remember, if you're just getting started making money with your creative talents and you're just figuring it out, you're likely going to need a website that helps you sell your products and services. So to learn more about my approach to writing that sells, you can visit thejamiejensen.com slash free training. On this training, I'll walk you through each page of your website and explain what must be there in order to pre-sell clients and customers. This makes it way easier for you to make money. You'll also learn about my signature course, copy that, but of course there's no pressure. All sales of that course help cover the cost of this podcast, but the training is available to you whether you decide to purchase the course or not. 
If you're looking to connect with more listeners and like-minded creatives who, who check out this podcast, you also can do that. We continue the conversation from these episodes in our private online Facebook lounge. You can head to creativesmakingmoney.com group to join the free group. And as always, you can find all important links and details in this episode's show notes, always available at creativesmakingmoney.com. Don't hesitate to head over there now. And as always, create like you mean it.